0: This week's starts in the middle of the dramatic encounter between Yosef and his brothers. Binyamin has been found to have the kavir, the goblets of Yosef, in his bags. The evidence against him is seemingly foolproof, and therefore Binyamin and all the brothers are brought back in front of Yosef. And Joseph rules that the guilty party, the one who was found, so to speak, to have stolen, he will remain as a slave as a punishment for stealing, and the other brothers are free to go, free to go home. Now, from Joseph's point of view, he's 100% right. From Joseph's point of view, someone stole. There's a penalty to pay for the crime of stealing, the one is guilty has to pay. So had you as an outside observer asked Yosef, Yosef, do you feel you're doing the right thing? The answer is obviously yes. And the Pasha starts off where Yehuda gets up to speak. Yehuda has promised Yaqumabino that he's going to ensure Minyamins safety, he's going to make sure to bring Minyamin home, and now he's going to try and present an argument to convince Yosef why Binyamin should be let free. And if you look at your argument, he doesn't debate whether Benjamin's guilty or not. He doesn't argue with the facts and the claim that you plant, this was a plant, you framed him, you were the one who put the Gabir in his, in his bag. Yehuda goes a different route. it talks about Yaakov Abinu and how the whole process of what Joseph wanted wasn't fair to Yaakov it endangered Yaakov's life and now if he's going to come back with that Jacob Yaakov's going to die and therefore his argument is that it's unfair to Yaakov. And if you'd asked Yehuda at that time heard is this just diplomacy is this just a lawyer's argument so to speak to try and earn an, an acquittal? Or do you really believe that Binyamin should be left free? I'm sure that you heard would also say. hundred percent. He really believes that Binyamin shouldn't be shouldn't be kept as a slave in Egypt, Binyamin should be allowed to go. And now the side is like this. Here we have two opposite points of view. But the important point is each one is convinced 100% that he's right. Each one's is convinced 100% that his way of looking at it is the right way, and he's not doing the wrong thing, he's doing the right thing. And this brings us to a principle. Shlomo Melech says it, in his words, in Mishle, Kol derech ish yashar A person sees things from his own perspective, and from his own perspective he sees he's right. It's true, obviously, that a person is Nagyavadava. It's true, obviously, a person sees things in their own frame of reference, from their point of view. But from their point of view, they're right. And if that's the case, we don't often consider a person to do something which is wrong because he knows he's doing wrong. Most often, a person thinks that, at least from their point of perspective, what they're doing is right. And this has a halachic application. This is a halachic application also. The halakh is that it's also for a dayan to judge a case. It's also for a judge to hear a case and decide in, in Paschkin if he's only heard. One of the two baladin, because I only heard one of the two litigants. Not only that, not only that, it's also to judge even if the two litigants didn't appear in front of him at the same time. Not only that, it's also for him to judge even if they didn't present their arguments at the same time. Why? Because even if when Diane hears the case, the halach is a very straightforward halacha, But he's hearing the case from the perspective of one side. And when a person is on the other side, the facts change. It's no longer the same case. Not because the first person was trying to lie necessarily. But when, something present, when somebody presents the story from their point of view, when someone presents the story from their point of view, so then they see it in terms of their own being, their own. So to speak, way of looking at it, I'll see himself as being correct. I had a case this week. And then the interior, someone came to me that he wanted to, you know, he was moving to a new apartment, he wanted to carry some, take some things from the old apartment to the new one. So he hired a taxi to pick up, he said, some suitcases, some bags, and to drive from his old apartment to his new apartment, which was about a four or five minute trip away. And the taxi cost charged him 500 shekels, and he felt that was outrageously overpriced and if he wanted to, so to speak, take the taxi driver to Dintara. Now you heard the story, you think this is some new immigrant taken advantage of by some uh, dishonest Israeli taxi driver, but halacha is that if you only hear one side of the story Without the other party being present, you can't be a judge. So I told him, by having told me the story, by telling me the one side of the story, he disqualified me from being able to judge the case. But I'll refer you to a friend of mine who's a Diane that I work with and make sure that the two of you go together to, to him and then let him decide the case. Okay, that's what he does. A few days later, I'm speaking to this friend, this Diane. And I asked him, by the way, I sent you a case, what happened? So he said, yes, you he heard both sides, and he thought that a fair compromise would be uh, that the person should pay the taxi driver between 400 to 450 shekels. So that didn't sound like a compromise, so I asked him, tell me what happened. So he said, the one person came and he said that he had just moved a few things from his old house to his new house, and it wasn't so far away, and the taxi driver charged him 500 shekels? So, this judge told me, and then I spoke to the taxi driver, who by the way happened to be a FROM individual also, and said to him, well, What happened? Why did you charge so much? So, he said, At first, it wasn't a few things. It was eight suitcases, it was a number of boxes, it was some furniture. Besides, so which I wouldn't have thought in the car one go. Besides, so which when I brought it to the new place, I had to then carry it all up the stairs for him and didn't just leave it on the sidewalk. So, he said, That's not the fee of a taxi service, that's a delivery service. Delivery service, you're paying for a mover that has a different a different scale of charges. This is just an example of how one person can see things from their perspective, and from their perspective they're right. Another person sees things from their perspective, from their perspective they're right. And it's only when a person is able to hear two sides of the situation, two sides of the story then it's possible to try and work out what's the halacha, what's correct. So that's the first result. The first principle is that Yosef and Yehuda, so to speak, each one is convinced that their perspective, their point of view is right. And what Yehuda tries to do in the parasha is to explain his point of view to Yosef, trying to convince Yosef, so to speak, why has to change his mind. Now there's a second point over here. And that's what comes from this idea. And that is, that, even though the halakha is, that when a dayan renders a decision, he's not mughiyav to explain to the two litigants why he passed it the way he did. But the truth is it's always an eight over. And the reason for that is because otherwise one side is going to feel that I'm sure the Dayan made a mistake. Why? Because he didn't really hear my side. He didn't really listen to everything I had to say. And if he would have listened to what I had to say then I'm sure you would have passed conducting. And if you pass on like it like it's to the other party, it's only because I didn't have a chance to explain myself well enough, or I wasn't given a, a, a chance to bring all my arguments. And therefore, that's also a halacha. That the Dain has to allow each of the two sides, each of the Baladinim, to, to say everything they want to say. To bring forward every point they want to bring forward. Even if the Dain knows that what the person is saying is not relevant to the halakha. But if you're not going to give the Baladin a chance to speak, He's never going to accept the psaq. He's never going to understand that the psaq was, right was correct because he's going to think that this, this halacha was decided without the judge, without the a, a dayan having heard both sides. And had he just listened to me, he would have seen why I was right. Which is also, by the way, why Yosef doesn't cut off your hood in the middle. You could say, listen, the din is final and no argument will be entered into. No, he's willing to listen. Give him a chance to speak him give him the chance to express his side of the story. And what I found extremely helpful, if a person wants to make sure that that's not going to be the case, is before dying renders abstract in, he should repeat each side's arguments to them. He should summarize the case. And he should say that you, to the first party, you claiming this and this and this, you saying this, this is what you're saying, this is what you're explaining, this is what you understand happened, these are your proofs that I can understand your arguments correctly. And in the second side, and you're saying this and this and this, and this is what your counterclaim is, and this is what your argument is, that I understand you correctly. Because when a person does, when a dying does that first, so then at least each side feels he's been heard, he's been understood. And if that's the case, it's an, even if the halakha is going to be in favor of one and against the other, but at least the, the losing party, so to speak, will know that it wasn't that the dying didn't pay him attention. That what he said wasn't taken into account. And there won't be that like underlying feeling that if only he had listened to me, he would have seen I was right. These are rules in dayanim. Maybe this is a good unhugger when a person wants to judge a case. Why is it practical to a Khinoshie? And the answer is, is because very often, as a parent, one of the many multifunctions a parent has to have is to act as the judge. Children fight, children get into arguments, and naturally, they're going to come to the parents, so to speak, to, to rule, to solve the dispute, to decide who's right and who's wrong. Or what's more common, especially with younger children is that uh, the one comes claiming of the other one, scratch them, bit them, push them, hurt them, whatever it's going to be, and now the parents in the role of being the judge. And therefore, as a judge, even if it's a judge of one's own children, the first essential point to bear in mind, to remember, is you can't judge the case until you've heard both sides. It's true the one could come in screaming and the other one's in his room. Or even to make it more graphic he could come in dripping blood and claim the other one did whatever they did. But that's only one side of the story. And it's only one side of the story you can't judge the case until you've heard both sides of the story. What did the other one do to him? Was it retaliatory? Was it aggressive? Because even children most often have a reason for what they did. Most often it's not straight out I wanted to be bad, so I did a bad thing. Most often there's a sense of injustice. That something was, he, this person did it wrong to me, so that's why I responded the way I did. And if the parent's going to make decisions or issue punishments without having heard both sides, then what's going to be left is a sense of injustice. It's not fair because you didn't even listen to my side of the story before you punished me. It's not fair you didn't even have a chance to hear what I had to say before you decided that they were right. And in that sense the child's right. In that sense the child's correct. Because it is not fair. It is not fair that parents are only going to hear one side and come to conclusions. If you're acting as a judge in the situation you're in now, then you must have to hear both sides. And not only that, Preferably you move the both sides together. When you hear the one before the other, then you're automatically, so to speak, favorably disposed to that, opinion, that way of looking at it. Or maybe I should say, unfavorably disposed towards the other way of looking at it. And, therefore, one has to hear both sides together to put what happened into perspective. But there's a second point also. And that is, if the point of chinuch is to educate and not to punish, if the point of chinuch is to help a child develop and not suppress them, then punishment doesn't play much of a role. It doesn't achieve much. It can stop a person doing what they're doing right now. It can threaten them into submission, but it doesn't make. them. And if that's the case, the only time that some kind of punishment is successful khilukh, is when the child understands why he's being punished and he understands that it's a fair consequence to what he did. Because if that's the case, then you've taught him something that this doing this kind of thing will result in this kind of response. And if you can understand, that's fair. That's fair. He did do what he did, whatever was wrong. He deserves the punishment he was given. Okay, then we've taught him something. The chinoch, the lesson, is that a certain thing which is wrong deserves a certain response. But, if the child doesn't think he was wrong, from the child's perspective he thinks he was right, and he thinks the parent's being unfair, or he thinks the parent's being one-sided, or he thinks the parent's making decisions without ever having given him the chance to explain his side of it, then punishment is absolutely no chinoch value. It won't do anything. Because it's not coming from the point of the person realizing that he did something wrong, and he deserves the punishment. It's more likely to think I did nothing wrong and I'm being punished unfairly. And the result's just going to be, therefore, the person's going the child's going to feel his parents are unfair. Or that they're against him, or that they favor the child, or any other variation of the of the above. And therefore what's even more important is in relation to one's children, and it's not just in the capacity of the judge who's there to maintain law and order. Regarding one's children or one's one's position, is also to mechanech them. And the only way there's going to be chinuch, in other words, someone's going to be educated, directed, is if they understand that this isn't a punishment; it's a lesson. And it'll only come across if the person, if the person first listens to what his child has to say. He listens to both sides. Better still, he can repeat both sides. Said, "Why did you hit your sister? Because she stole my puzzle pieces." Okay, so you say that she says it wasn't fair you hit her, and you think that if someone steals your puzzle pieces, you're allowed to hit them. Is that correct? And now that you've said back, so to speak, responded by repeating both sides of the argument, then at least you've gained the first important step. Both sides feel they've been heard and understood. And now, you can render a decision. Now you're the judge and you can issue a ruling. And you can say, that's not an appropriate response for someone who steals your puzzle pieces to hit them. Yes, you understood it. what they did wrong. They stole your puzzle pieces. But the response wasn't the right response. And either you can offer an alternative response, or it's something you feel needs a punishment. Okay, that's, that's a shekula das, so to speak, of the, of the parents at the time. But the important point is, at least it's been explained what the problem was. What the problem was. Whereas, if a, the way the parent responds when the younger child comes in crying, My older brother just hit me. And the way the parent responds straight away is to punish the older one without asking him what happened. It's not going to cause any The child's just going to feel he's been wronged twice. The younger child wronged him by stealing his puzzle pieces. And his parent wronged him by punishing him for defending himself. So like I said, the punishment has no achiluch value whatsoever. It's only when there's a first step, when there's a first step that a person can feel he's been hurt and understood. So now, he's open to hearing a judgment of whether he was right or he was wrong. But as long as you haven't listened to him, as long as he feels that you haven't even heard what he has to say, then how can you judge him? You haven't heard what he has to say. And the truth is, this is a general yusad. Don't look to judge somebody else you don't know the situation he was in. Until you've understood him, until you've heard him out, until you've given him a chance to explain himself. So it's not like fair to issue judgments against him. One's that to speak about the idea of the importance of judging another favorably. The mitzvah of betzedek tishpot amitakha. The person to judge his friend righteously, betzedek. And I was talking to an audience of non-religious college students. I trying to explain the Torah's perspective, why it's important to, to judge other people favorably. So I gave this idea exactly this idea. Imagine you were a judge, and the police or the prosecution Comes forward and says, Your Honor, this person is guilty of this and this is a crime. This is what he did. And imagine the judge would say, Really? That's what he did? Five years in jail. Everybody will understand you're not a judge. Maybe you're a dictator, but not a judge. The only way you can be a judge is then to listen to what the defendant has to say. How is he going to explain himself? Is that what he did? Does he admit it? Does he deny it? Does there have a justification for it? Are there any ameliorating factors in the case? And it's only after hearing both sides that the judge can render a verdict. Now, when you see somebody else do something, you immediately jump to conclusions and you condemn them for what they did wrong. Did you give them the chance to defend themselves? Maybe they have a reason for what they do. Maybe it's not the way you think it is. But by judging somebody unfavorably, just on what you've seen, without giving them the chance to defend themselves, it's not being a judge. It's not being a judge. And therefore, if you're not going to go after them and ask them to defend themselves, then you're going to have to play the role of the, of the lawyer of the defense. And you're going to have to explain why you think, what would be the, so to speak, mitigating factor of why a person would do such a thing. What would be a situation which would justify doing the person did? Because otherwise that you're not in a position to judge someone before you've heard the other side of the argument. That's just an aside. The point in Chinuch, as like we said, the main point is that the point the just like a person is going to feel he was wronged by a bastard who didn't listen to his side of the argument. Same thing. A child is going to feel he was wronged by a parent who didn't listen to his side of the argument. And by a child is more damaging. Because not just that he's going to feel the parent's unfair, but then the whole approach to Chinuch, which is to, to help him, to educate him, to help him learn, he's not going to get. When a person comes to a conclusion that a certain person treats them unfairly, it doesn't take their side of the story into account, so it shuts down that channel of someone that they can learn from. And let's finish up by just going back to the Pasha. After hearing out Yehuda's arguments about how even no bin binyamin might be guilty of the crime, But the defense argument is what's going to happen to Yaakov Avinu. You know. That's what prepared the stage for Yosef to reveal himself, as the famous explanation of the Chavetz Chaim goes, and say to you that on your own arguments if you're willing to accept that even if Benjamin's guilty, I have to reprieve him because of the benefit of Yaakov, then even if you're going to say, as many years before, that I, Yosef, was guilty of all the crimes you claimed I was guilty of. But what happened to the Khashban of Yaakov? The famous Pratel of Khafetchai. Why wasn't this the Khashban then? And what made that argument so powerful is because having heard Yehuda's argument, this was exactly the point Yehuda was coming from. This was exactly the point Yehuda was coming from. But only after having explained himself, so to speak, and yet Yehuda felt he had been understood, and now it was possible for Yosef, to show him why he was wrong. There's a famous story about Rav Chaim Velajna. One of his Talmudim was the, the Nachas Tobit of David Tevel. It was a rabbi of a town near Velajna. At one time, the Talmud Rav Chaim Velajna got into an argument with another, another individual and they decided to go to Rav Chaim Velajna for a psak. So they went, Rav Chaim both sides, and he passed against the Nachos David. Okay, this is Revi, he accepted the sack but deep down he felt that he also knew Choshen Mishpat, and he felt Rav Chaim made a mistake. What happened is, a number of months later, two businessmen knock on the door of the Nachos David, and they said they introduce themselves, we're not from your town, we're just travelling through, but we had a certain argument in our business between us two partners. And as they're over the time we, we want to we want to ask you the question. Okay, each one presents their side of the argument. And David listens to it, he thinks about it. And then he passes in favor of one of them. Okay, the two shake hands, thank him, and they leave. When thinking over the case and why he passed the way he did Reb David suddenly realized that the case these two people brought to him was actually the very same halachic discussion of the case which he and his friend had argued about Rukhaya Milojna. And what was more enlightening to him was the way he had paskund was exactly the same way Rukhaya Velojna And then he realized that even though he had felt that Rukhaya Milojna had been wrong, that's because he was the losing party of the case. But when he had to, so to speak, go through the two sides and Paskun as the judge, he passed him the same way. Late, years later, when Al khayim was Nefta, so of course his Talmud travelled to the Adashin for the Levaya. And there at the Levaya, among the thousands of people who had gathered, he'd meet these two businessmen who had come to him so many years before. So one of comes up to him and says, Do you remember so many years ago we came to you for a din and He says, Yes, I remember. And he You should not, there was no such din tarot. He said, Rabchaim Elijah called us in and he instructed us what to do. He said, Go to this town, go to the Matamid, the Nachos David. and tell him that you, you want him to judge a din tarot. And, and he told each one of them what to say. And this man says to the I never understood why we had to do that, what Chaim Khaim was trying to do. But we listened to what he said and we came and we presented the case to the way he told us to. And only then, many years later, after his Rebbe had just died, did the Nakhlus appreciate what Chaim Khaim was doing. Rav Chaim understood that his time felt his ruling was wrong. And therefore, he had hired these two people to make a, and made a fictitious case to present to him which would be based on the same Alachic principle because he was sure that that time that way when he would be in the lovin would in the position of the judge and not one of the parties to the case he would understand that the, that the way of high of was right and he would do the same thing that's a good chinuch that's a good chinuch that's not just a ruling as a, as a daiyan it's also instructing so to speak, showing his Talmud well, that the way Pascal was right. Now, it's not always practical, and especially we talking about our children, we're not going to make them the judges of the case. But the chinuch point has to be the same. The point of the dying isn't just to render a decision. If he's a judge, then it's not his Talmud and then yes, he can render a psaq and that's even and that's enough. Even though, like I said, there too. It always adds much more if the if the judge can explain both sides and why 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 you heard both sides and why you passed them the way you did. If it's coming to chinuch, then for sure it's more important because the idea then isn't just to passim. The idea then is to educate. If that's the case, it's only when a person's heard both sides, I can say over. Oh, this is the way you did what you did. This is what this is what happened to you. And this is why you responded the way you acted. And. The child feels he's being heard, and his side has been presented right. Now you can say that, but that wasn't the right thing to do. Well, now you can say that's not the right that that in the circumstances this wasn't the right response. And then something which is accepted. It's more difficult. Our natural reaction is as soon as we hear a case, immediately to decide right and wrong, immediately to think of the how we're we going to deal with it. But in a case like that, that's when they uh, have, so to speak, complaints first, is what we call it right. Not only is it going to be a, often a travesty of justice, but it's also going to make the fundamental mistake of using punishment as a tool for, so to speak, revenge, as opposed to a tool for khino.